Good morning. Welcome to Church of the Palms. My name is Jan Gilbert, and I serve as a shepherding deacon in our congregation. This is the day the Lord hath made. Let us bow our heads as we prepare for worship. O God, whom we worship today, take our wandering minds and center them on your word. Take our lukewarm hearts and stir them by your love. Take our stumbling prayers and clarify them by your spirit. We praise you, O Lord, for you have reconciled us to yourself and to each other through Jesus Christ. In him, we are new creations. The old has gone and the new has come. In this time of worship, we pray, come, Lord Jesus. Now, as we worship together, may our hearts receive his Holy Spirit, our ears listen to his word, and our voices be raised in praise to the glory of God.
for call to worship, if you are able. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Come, let us worship God. Christ himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. So let us acknowledge our failure and disobedience and return to the Lord with penitence and faith, confessing our sins together. Living Lord, we know that Jesus prayed that his followers would be one. And we are well aware that we have not lived up to that ideal. Too often we have paid attention to what is different. 
to what divides us from one another. Too often, we have allowed differences of opinion to cause rifts in our relationships. Too often, we have insisted on having our own way because we are self-centered. Forgive us, we pray, for our lack of unity. Help us to become living and breathing answers to Jesus' prayer. Amen. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and our sins are separated from us as far as the east is from the west. I declare to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, your sins are forgiven. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. And now with believers across the globe and down through the ages, let us state what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, he descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now let us continue our worship with the sacrament of baptism. You may be seated. We're going to invite the Melbourths and the... Come on up, all the way up. It is always a joy to be able to celebrate the sacrament of baptism because we believe that God makes covenant promises to us and we make covenant promises to one another. And so as we prepare to celebrate this sacrament, let us remember the words of our risen Lord Jesus Christ when he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do all that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you to the very close of the age. 
believing the words of our Lord Jesus and certain of the presence of his spirit with us this morning, we baptize with water those whom God has called to be his own. And so as we prepare to uh, celebrate this sacrament, Rob and Jen, I ask you these questions. Who is your Lord and Savior? Jesus Christ. Do you trust him? Do you intend your daughter to be his faithful disciple? To you, the people who are Church of the Palms, having heard Rob and Jenna's affirmations, do you promise to do everything in your power to teach this child of the love and grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ? If so, please say we do. Let us pray. Gracious God, without your grace, no promise is sure. And so as we baptize with water, baptize with your Holy Spirit. And we pray that as we have made these promises before you to one another this day, that you would renew within us those promises we have made not only on behalf of Ava, but on behalf of all of the children and all of the youth in this church family. We have promised to do everything in our power by what we say and what we do to demonstrate, to teach your love, your grace, your truth in Christ Jesus, our Savior and Lord. And so as we baptize with this water this morning, baptize us all again with your Holy Spirit. We ask it in the name of the Father and the Son and that Holy Spirit. Amen. So I wanted to acknowledge that standing with you are your dear friends, David and Julie. Last name pronunciation, please. Brasiano. Wonderful to have y'all here today. And so, Ava, would you come and be with me for just a moment? You look very lovely. Oh, yes, there's mom and dad. We're going to go right over here to the font. What is your child's full name? Ava Kelly Melberth. You are a child of the covenant and God loves you very much. And so I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now I would like to invite Lori Haas to come and speak on behalf of Family Ministry. Thank you. So the, this is such a special time for the Melbourne family and for us as a church family because we get to welcome another child into our family. So we know that you two are the most important influence in Ava's life, but guess what? You're not the only influence that she needs. We want to be on this journey with you. We are so excited to be on this journey with you so that she will grow in her faith and that she will get this sticky faith. We love this sticky faith so that when our kids graduate and leave, they don't leave their faith behind. So we would like to present you with a Bible that you can read to her, a beautiful cross stitch and a certificate and congratulations. 
All right, well, let us pray once again. Gracious God, we thank you for your faithfulness promised in this sacrament of baptism. We thank you for Ava, and we look forward to the day that as she grows and learns more about you and experiences your love and grace in her own life, we look forward to the day when she will confirm the baptismal vows made on her behalf today by her mom and dad, Rob and Jenna. Fill them as parents with your love so that they may build a home of peace and welcome. Guide each one of us to serve you throughout all of our days. Help us to surround this family with our support and our prayers. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And now let's stand and greet one another in Jesus' name. Rob, congratulations. God bless you, Jenna. God bless. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to, the, welcome to worship at Church of the Palms. It is great to be in the Lord's house together. I wanted to encourage you to read through the announcements that are printed in the bulletin. And I wanted to highlight just a couple of announcements this morning. Um, the first is that we are uh, overjoyed to welcome back our students and their leaders who have been away at, in a conference in Montreat, North Carolina. Had a chance to just briefly speak with Lori Haas, who was one of the leaders on that trip, and kind of what, what she was struck with at this year's conference is the uh, amazing way that God was present and kind of impressing on our students how we are woven together as brothers and sisters in Christ, how we are connected to each other and how God is very much in that for all of us. And so uh, we look forward to hearing those stories from our students as they have a chance to share in just a few weeks about their mission trips and, um, and this Montreat Conference. So it's great to have them back with us today. Also, I wanted to ask, of those who are here in the room this morning, how many of you were either here yesterday for Day of Hope or you contributed a book or socks or financially, or you prayed for Day of Hope. How many folks who are here were 
that's what I thought I was going to see is act absolutely amazing. Yesterday, in spite of the weather, which was about like this morning, we, we were able to serve right about 220 um, children and, and their families as well to help them um, prepare for school and to start their school year on a level playing field with their classmates. So thank you so much for the way that, that we as a church family were able to wrap our arms around these, uh, these students and their families. It was a, it was a joy to be involved in that. It's time. It's, it's time for what? All right, come on. You don't have to fake like you're surprised anymore. Come on, I've been working this... on my surprise all week. <gasps> <laughs> this was supposed to be a surprise, but somebody let the cat out of the bag. We have a very special occasion we're celebrating today. In fact, it's a double celebration. So, Mingy, we need you to come down here, too. <clears throat> I'm very surprised as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> today, we are celebrating both Bruce and Mingy's 20th ordination anniversary. So 20 years ago, Bruce and Minnie were. And Lori Haas and Marlene Petro have a presentation for them. So we can tell them the answer, but right call to be pastors and not actors, right? <laughs> <laughs> You guys, we are so blessed to have these two in our lives, to get to serve side by side with them. They, ha they are filled up with the love of Christ, and they have this sense of humor, this kindness, but above all, this connection to God that you can't help but be just wrapped up in it whenever you're with them. So lucky us that we get to after 20 years. Mm, thank you so much. Thank you. There you go. Thank you. My recollection is that um, in stories I've heard, neither of these two started on a path of, toward ordination in their young adult years. But they heard the call. And even though one of them, <laughs> I wonder who that would be, sort of fought that call, they both answered it. So today, on behalf of the congregation, it's my privilege to present to you these flowers and to thank you for being here 20 years hence and caring for each one of us. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Let's all give them a hand. We'll continue our celebration after this service with some cake over in the Campus Center. So please meet us there so you can congratulate Bruce and me personally. And now as we continue our worship with the music meditation, we're going to slip over to the Campus Center so that they can be recognized there as well but we'll be back in a few minutes. Thank you. <laughs>
pleased so much to celebrate the 20th uh, anniversary of ordination for our two esteemed colleagues. Morgan's and my anniversaries have long exceeded the Strata Fair, so uh, I doubt if we can even remember, can we? <clears throat> Let us share in prayer together. Dear Lord, we are so thankful for meeting together as your people the privilege of worshiping and honoring you. We magnify and glorify you, not only in our worship today, but our desire is to do that every day. We earnestly seek your will and your way, and we want nothing but regular intimate relationship with you as we go along life's journey. We do come with awe and wonder as we approach your throne of prayer but we also come to you confidently and boldly because we're your children. And as we reach out to you, you are already reaching out to us. We're captivated by love and by your amazing grace that goes beyond our comprehension, and we thank you for that. But not only here in this sanctuary, but as your church in everyday life, we pray that you'll touch us with the spirit of your presence. Help us through our worship, but also out in the streets that we may become more aware of you and of our calling to serve others and each other in love. May the joy of knowing you always fill our hearts and our wonderful uh, spirits be inspired by your divine spirit. We pray for all those who are part of this church, this community of believers, we celebrate each other's joys and blessings. We are deeply privileged to be a member of this church as we grow individually and in relationship together in shared purpose and vision and service for your kingdom. Our earnest desire is to be a church after your own heart and be concerned about those things that are of everlasting eternal importance. So we pray that you will inspire us in that area and break our hearts for what breaks your heart. We do as we lift up the Church of the Palms and all who grace it door, uh, its doors. We do pray for those who hunger and thirst, who need a, a additional sustenance through the various outreaches like the food bank and our other missions. We're so grateful for the spirit of our people who volunteered yesterday for the Day of Hope, and we thank you for the inspiration that has given us all. We would ask that your spirit would intervene in everything we do on this campus and off of it. We pray for those who are hurting and struggling today, even in this room. We pray for your comfort and a peace that will pass understanding to come into their lives. Heal the physical and emotional wounds, especially those who are grieving over the loss of spouses the last few weeks. Give strength and consolation to those in pain and surround them with those who will strengthen and encourage them. We pray you'll show all of us your love in a new way today. Finally, Lord, we would ask that you would open our hearts and minds to hearing your voice as our preacher comes to minister to us. Help us to be filled with the passion from his words that others cannot help but be attracted to your light living inside of us. 
Help us to take any first step you ask us to take, and then show us where to run. Help us to never lose the focus and the vision that you've laid before us. Thank you again once again for your mercy, for your grace. We know we would be nothing without you, and we return whatever praise and gratitude we may receive back to you, the God, the Son, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now we'll ask our ushers to come forward and lead us in the worship of our tithes and offerings. <clears throat> Savior's side, just over in the glory land. Just, just over in the glory land. I'll join the happy angel band. Just over in the glory land. Just over in the glory land. There with the mighty host I'll stand. Just over in the glory land. Just over in the glory land, sing God's praise and His glory share. Just over in the glory land, just just over in the glory land, I'll join the happy angels band. Just over in the glory land, just just over in the glory land, I'll join. I'll join the just over in the glory land, that's where I'll sing the wondrous love of Jesus, sing his mercy and his grace. In the mansions bright and blessed, he'll prepare for me a place. When we all get together, what a good of rejoicing that will be. When we all sing Jesus, I'll sing and shout the victory. Yes, when we all, when we all sing Jesus, we'll sing, we'll shout, we'll never be without him. I'll fly away, oh glory. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. When the shadows of this 
pray together. Dear Lord, you have created everything, and in that creation you have extended generosity to us beyond belief. Help now as your church to be generous back as we present our tithes and offerings, and thank you for what you've done for us. In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. You may be seated, and now we're going to invite the children to come forward with uh, Carol. That was great. Thank you. So we're learning the last verse that we've been learning, Psalm 23. How's everybody? And it goes like this. Surely your unfailing love, your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. So remember David, the guy last week, that the shepherd boy David? David is the one who wrote Psalm 23. And he wrote it as a reminder to each one of us just what we have in store when we follow the good shepherd. He says we can have a whole world. Our whole world can be filled with God's goodness and unfailing love. But that's not it. That's not all. We get to live in God's house forever. So how many, who can tell me here how many days there are in a whole year? 364. 300 what? 64. 364. Close. Really, really close. Anybody else? 365. 365. Just one off, but 365. So 
Let's see. Sam, how old are you? Nine years old. Nine years old. Okay. I brought my calculator. I'm going to do a little math here. So, 365 days times, you said nine, nine years equals God has shown his love and goodness to you for 3,285 days. That's crazy. That's not exact what I went through at least. <laughs> a little bit more then, huh? <laughs> you know what? And if we live to be 100, like my friend Clint over here. Hey, Clint. Clint's over 100, so he, he adds up too. So God has shown... God has shown his unfailing love and goodness to Clint for 36,581 days. I did the math. <laughs> That's right. God's love never runs out. And here's the best part. God is waiting for us in heaven. Yep, heaven is for real, and we get to go there once we live our life here on earth. So the average lifespan of an American is about 80 years. Some, lives long, some, some folks live a little bit longer, and some live shorter. But everyone who follows Jesus gets to spend eternity. That's forever and ever in heaven with God and with our loved ones. So we, we don't really know what heaven's going to look like when we get there, but we do know that it's filled with joy and happiness. There's no tears, no sadness, no suffering. So I want you guys all to think about something that brings you great joy so that we can get a little glimpse of what heaven might be together. Maybe it's your mom, maybe it's your dad, maybe puppies or kittens. We're reading together. Maybe it's just laughing like crazy. Or, or maybe it's just singing your favorite song. Ah. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, you are the good shepherd. Thank you for all taking care of us here on earth and all of the blessings that you give us here on earth. Thank you for creating heaven so that we get to live forever and ever. Amen. had just a, a slight glitch, a slight problem with the morning bulletin. I promised you last Sunday that on the front of the bulletin there'd be a photocopy of the birthday card that Mr. Rogers, my friend Fred Rogers, sent me back in 1992. And I guess we had to crop it down too much for you to see the whole card. What I wanted you to see is that over the picture of Fred Rogers, there are the words, I like you just the way you are, from which, quite obviously, the sermon title is derived. Uh, we'll get to that later in the sermon. 
Uh, let's begin now to think about the scripture lesson. I wrote this sermon way back in the end of June, and then on the 17th of July, it, there was a guest editorial in the Wall Street Journal, uh, the thrust of which was that Bible-believing Christians, which it defined as those who believe the whole Bible, Bible-believing Christians who believe the whole Bible would certainly not be voting for a certain outspoken presidential hopeful. Now, I, I was not really interested in the politics uh, of the article. I was just interested in the fact that on the pages of the Wall Street Journal would appear that phrase that's been around for such a long time, Bible-believing Christians who believe the whole Bible. And I've never really understood uh, why anybody would want to be called a Bible-believing Christian who believes the whole Bible because Jesus didn't. Yeah. There are whole sections of Hebrew scripture, what we call the Old Testament, uh, from which Jesus never quoted. As a matter of fact, uh, there are places where one biblical writer will argue with another biblical writer and Jesus, when he quotes, will choose the one that connects with his belief that God is a benevolent, loving, heavenly father. There's even an instance in his sermon uh, that he preached uh, at the synagogue at Nazareth where he edits a text and chops off a whole piece of a text because, again, it doesn't reflect his faith in God as a loving, heavenly father. Now, we can see some of Jesus' interpretive method, how he used scripture in the lessons that we're going to read this morning. For example, if you turn to various passages in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, there are uh, all kinds of signs that say no admittance. The physically impaired could not be members of the priesthood. Uh, it's no fault of their own that they were born a dwarf or a hunchback, or that they, they have a mutilated uh, body member, but it's no to them. And one of our summer preachers earlier called attention to the fact that you get to the temple, like the, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts gets all the way up there and finds a sign that says no eunuchs. There were other prohibitions against foreigners. But then in another passage that we're going to read from Isaiah, that passage says, no, it's not that way at all. It's open to all because God's house was meant to be a house of prayer for all peoples. And it is to this passage that Jesus turned on Palm Sunday when he did something that we often uh, fail to see. We always notice that he went in, he overturned the tables of the money changers, but we miss the fact that he connected with the passage in Isaiah that he did something revolutionary. He healed the blind and the lame and opened the temple to them. And he did it in the spirit of Isaiah because God's house was meant to be a place of prayer for all peoples. Listen now to these two short readings from the 56th of Isaiah. Thus says the Lord, maintain justice and do what is right for soon my salvation will come and my deliverance be revealed. Happy is the mortal who does this, the one who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, 
not profaning it, and refrains from doing any evil. Do not let the foreigner join to the Lord, say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people, and do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath, do not profane it, and hold fast my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. And then on Palm Sunday, Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he cured them. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the amazing things that he did and heard the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became angry and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise for yourself. This is the word of the Lord. I told you back in that sermon I delivered on June 14th how uh, at age 16, as a kid who had not been raised in church and Sunday school, I happened to find up in our attic a copy of the New Testament. I not only began reading it, I began memorizing entire passages of it. Of course, I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell my parents, and I certainly didn't tell my friends at high school who would think I was some kind of a, a religious nerd. But finally, there was a girl in an assigned seat in biology class sitting beside me, and she was a happy, winsome girl, and she wanted to be a missionary, so finally, I told her what I was doing, and she invited me to come to her church. And one thing led to another until finally, however you want to put it, I got religion, I was saved, I was converted. Put it any way you want, but there came a day, and I know the day, it was April 1st of 1945. I didn't accept anything, but I knew that God had accepted me by his grace in Jesus Christ. And it changed my entire life. Shortly thereafter, I began preaching. Well, the kind of preaching that you'd expect from a 17-year-old. Uh, I was zealous. I wanted to share what had happened to me with all the world. And I didn't just go around saying to people, brother, are you saved, or handing them religious tracts. I had a place to preach. And that place was the Schenectady County Jail. 
And when you're starting off as a preacher, it's pretty good to have a captive audience. I would go there on Sunday afternoons with a group of older members of our church, and we didn't have a prison chapel. I'd, we'd stand outside the cell block, and we'd tell our story, and some of the prisoners would listen, and others would remain in their individual cells and take a nap on their cot. But uh, that's the way I started preaching in the jail. I look back on that, and I blush to remember uh, what it must have been like. I mean, was it arrogance, or was it ignorance, or was it naivete? I was unschooled in scripture. I was unschooled and untutored in theology. I, I had no preparation. Uh, it's a wonder that some of the prisoners did not revolt and claim that uh, it was uh, specified in their sentence there was nothing like cruel and unusual punishment. <laughs> but let me tell you, as naive and arrogant as I may have been as a new convert, there's one thing that I had right. And that was that I believed that the good news about Jesus was meant for everybody. Uh, that it was on the basis of whosoever will may come that it didn't matter rich or poor, black or white or whatever, you shared the gospel with everybody. And that is why on one Sunday afternoon, when I learned that a young prisoner named Barney was going to be re released on Wednesday, I said to him, I'm going to leave a dollar or two for you at the front desk so you'll have some money in your pocket when they let you out on Wednesday and I'll meet you in front of Proctor's Theater at 7 o'clock, and you come to our Wednesday evening service. Now, it happens that Barney was what we said back then, Negro, African-American, we say now, or black. This didn't seem like any big deal to me. I had all kinds of African-American friends. African-American family lived four doors from our house on the block where we lived in Schenectady. I had all kinds of black friends on the track and cross country team. So this was no big deal. At least I didn't think so. Anyway, come Wednesday, I always had a ride to our downtown church with one of the deacons. We were driving down and I said to him, now tonight you have to let me off uh, in front of Proctor's Theater. I've invited one of the prisoners to come to our Wednesday evening service and I told him something about Barney and he said to me, and I remember this as though it was yesterday, he said, uh, you, you can't do that. <laughs> Those people have their own churches. Our church is for people who have made something of themselves. Well, that was the beginning of a long journey. A long journey that uh, took many years until I understood uh, better what we mean by systemic racism. There were some exciting, wonderful moments along the way. One of the highlights was a day uh, later when I would stand in front of my first church and have a newspaper photographer take my picture with Dr. Martin Luther King. Another high point came when I was called from my first church to my second church 
in Mount Vernon, New York, which was a racially integrated church, 20% of whose members were African American. Well, I didn't right away leave that church, that church where the deacon uh, had said uh, our church is for people who've made something of themselves. You know, he wasn't a bad man, he was a decent guy. He was just bound by the blind spots and bigotries to which all of us were bound in those days. As a matter of fact, the people of that church were good to me, they were kindly. It's as though they didn't hear what the preacher was saying. He'd preach about the wrath of God and how you ought to be afraid of God. And yet, you know, people are often better than their beliefs. They acted as though God was friendly and they treated me with friendship and kindness. And for some reason or other, I was singled out and I was put one-on-one -on -one with an old missionary who, I'm age 17, began to tutor me in New Testament Greek, and it was a turning point that set a whole different direction for my whole life, ministry, and career. But there's one thing I did begin to learn there, and that is that there are such, that there's such a thing as an invisible architecture of exclusion. Now in the lesson, in the lesson from the Old Testament, I called attention to the fact that there was actually a physical architecture in the temple of Jesus' day of exclusion. I mean, physically you saw certain barriers. There's the Holy of Holies for the high priest only. Then there's a certain court for the priests and Levites, and then one for men, and then one for women, and on down all kinds of no trespassing signs, and it's physically built into the thing. But what I suddenly realized, and it took time, is that our church had an invisible architecture of exclusion. I mean, we would sing the chorus, whosoever will, whosoever will, whosoever will may come, except women. A woman could not be an officer of our church. That's just the way it was. You see, you pick and choose text from the Bible. And you can find texts that will support that conclusion. Although we love the women of the church, it's just that there was a sign that said no trespassing when it came to the session meeting. And of course, there were no women pastors back then. The most interesting piece of this invisible architecture was in our mission program. Now, we believed in missions like no church I have ever known. The mission budget of our church was larger than the current expense budget. We spent more money sending the gospel to all the world than we spent upon our own ministry and local, local ministry. That's, that's pretty admirable. On the bulletin, uh, Sunday bulletin every week, there were 25 or 30 names of young people who had left our church and gone into all the world as missionaries and pastors. This is why we existed. Some older friends of mine, uh, he was a medical missionary. I remember going to the pier in New York and we prayed them off and sang them off as they sailed to the port of Mombasa, Kenya, where they would move inland to Tanganyika and spend the rest of their lives. This, this was our purpose for being, to reach darkest Africa,
But three short blocks away from our downtown church, there was a perfectly safe neighborhood where African-American people lived. We never went that far, all the way to Africa, but three blocks right in our neighborhood was too far. Well, thank goodness, things are much better nowadays. You can go to almost any church and find uh, African-Americans and Asians welcome. It's much better for women. We have women elders, we have women pastors. In some of our seminaries, there are more women students than there are men. It's still not a level playing field. I mean, when a woman is ordained and goes to get her own first church, there are some churches that simply don't want a woman pastor. We're not, we're not totally there yet. And then there's the whole uh, controversy over sexual orientation. And you know also there are some physical barriers still in churches. If you're confined to a wheelchair, you can go to a restroom easier at Walmart than in many churches. That's just the way it is. You know, it's interesting how long it has taken to make the church and how long it is taking to make it a house of prayer for all peoples. We've always found some way to keep somebody out of the game, to say, you can't play with us, you're different. Now, when I went to that church in Mount Vernon, New York, there was one deacon to whom I related immediately because he had made a whole life for himself playing the harmonica. <coughs> what happens, when I was a little boy, I had taught myself to play the harmonica. I don't know how I did that. My parents bought me this little marine band harmonica over at Montgomery Ward store near Albany and I read the instruction seat, and I taught myself to play. I eventually had two classmates who could toot along with me, and some parent would drive us uh, to play at nursing homes, uh, captive audiences again. <laughs> we even played over the radio once. I, I don't know if we were any good, maybe we're just an oddity, but. Somehow or other, the harmonica passed away. I put them in the drawer. <clears throat> and I guess it was because I discovered that not many teenage girls were interested in my harmonica artistry. <laughs> but when I got to that church, I related immediately to Mike because he had started out as a little kid and made a whole life out of it. He was a poor kid in the Bronx. He'd found a broken harmonica in the gutter rinsed it off, taught himself to play, and moved on. Uh, finally, he made the vaudeville stage. He played with the harmonica harlequins, the harmonica rascals, taught his three sons to play, and they became the musical chimes. Uh, and they didn't just play in nursing homes. They made the Palace Theater in New York. He played that plaintive harmonica background to Jackie Kennedy's a tour of the White House. You can still, on some records, hear his special licks that were done in studio sessions with Frank Sinatra, Neil Diamond, Harry Belafonte, Pete Seeger, and Gladys Knight. He even consulted with the Honer Company of Germany in the development of those large chord harmonicas. He was world class, but there was one interesting difference. 
Mike played the harmonica upside down and backwards. When he found that first harmonica, the face plates were missing. So, not knowing any better, he held it upside down. So, the low notes were to the right instead of the left, the high notes were to the left. It's as though we asked Jonathan or Jean Vieb to lie down on top of the piano, <laughs> reach over and play. <laughs> They'd be playing the bass notes with the right hand, the, uh, yeah, the bass notes with the right, the high notes with the left, upside down and backwards. Now Mike actually could play both ways, which amazes me. Isn't that wonderful that early on nobody said to him, you can't play with us. You're doing it upside down and backwards. You know, the church gets all bent out of shape when someone's different. But how often in the world of music and art we're more governed by the gospel according to Duke Ellington who said, if it sounds good, it is good. You know, we're all different. We play the game of life differently. We have different hang-ups. There's much more to us than you see here on Sunday morning. We all play a different part in the mainstream symphony of life. But if it sounds good to Jesus, it is good. Now, what do we do to make this church of ours a, more of a house of prayer for all peoples? And here I turn to what Fred Rogers said, I like you just the way you are. Begin by letting yourself in. Look at yourself every morning in the mirror and say, I like you just the way you are. It took me time to work that one out because, you know, I don't like myself the way I am. Uh, there's a lot of work that I have to do on myself. And I found generally in life that people who like themselves too much aren't much fun to be with. <laughs> But Fred didn't mean what's on the surface, what you see here standing in the pulpit. He meant what's inside. And like I said to you last week, he was always speaking to the Christ within us. I like you just the way you are because inside your life <clears throat> and inside every life is Jesus. The Word was made flesh and set up his residence in us. In every human life, <clears throat> Christ is secretly present and incarnate. And you know, that, <clears throat> that explains why some people are so happy in life and others are so miserable. The happy people are those who have said yes to that inner presence. They know Jesus is in there and that they're working with him to become everything that they were meant to be in Christ. The miserable people are those who are running away from that inner presence. They're miserable because there's a voice in there that's speaking to them. They don't want to hear it. They try to drown it out with noise. They get in their car, they turn on the car radio, they're not even listening, but there's got to be noise, or they put these buds in their ear or they turn on the TV in the morning just so there's noise in the house. They're afraid of that silence in which the inner Christ may speak. 
They think they can crowd him out of their lives by a lot of clothes and cars and bling and bangles and beads. But in the middle of the night, after a long day of shopping, there's something that tells them you can never have enough of what you don't need to make you happy. The thing is, Jesus won't go away. The world tried to get rid of him, and he came right back. You can't force him away. He's in there. It's his decision. We either say yes to him and become what we're meant to be, or we live miserably trying to run away from him. We live in a Christ-haunted world, and he won't go away. You know, it's like what, like what Paul said once. He said, we are a work of his. Used to be translated for we are his workmanship. What it says literally is we are a work of his, and the Greek word is poema, from which comes poetry. We're a piece of beauty, a piece of poetry that God is writing in the world. We're like a block of wood, and the sculptor sees at the center of the wood something that only the sculptor can see. And God is cutting and chiseling and filing, uh, using whatever is necessary to get down to the real thing, which is a special edition of Jesus that can only be manifested in your life and in mine. That's why we're here. The real you is the special edition of Jesus that God is carving out and will finally bring to perfection. Or it's what Jared, Jared Manley Hopkins called the immortal jewel, some facet of which in your life was meant to reflect in a unique way the glory of God. So, as George Fox the Quaker said, walk cheerfully over the world, answering that of God in everyone. Be glad and rejoice in the song that your life is singing. Rejoice in the artistry of some other life, because God, in all the new experience that he brings us every morning, is getting to the thing we're meant to be, which is that special addition of Jesus that only you can be. And don't ever forget the gospel according to Duke Ellington. If it sounds good, it is good. God bless you.
as this service ends and when you go from this place today, go with God's blessing, knowing that the living Lord Jesus Christ goes with you. He goes above you to watch over you, behind you to encourage you, beside you to befriend you, within you to give you peace, and before you to show you the way now and forever. Amen. Thank you.